The sermon text this morning comes from the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 16 through 21. Following the reading of Scripture, we will sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed in your bulletin for you. So please stand to hear God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is God's word. Praise be to God. I don't remember many birthdays growing up, but I do remember my seventh birthday was the year that I was allowed to watch the movie Aladdin came out on big screen. And the movie Aladdin is about a lower-class homeless boy who's recruited to find a mysterious lamp uh, in the Cave of Wonders. And the cave, the cave, when Aladdin enters into it, is filled with all kinds of jewels, rubies, golden coins, uh, treasures, endless treasures, but he's told to touch nothing but the lamp. He searches for it, when he finally finds it, which this old, well-worn oil lamp, there's nothing flashy about it, nothing attractive, doesn't look very valuable. He picks it up and he, he shrugs his shoulders and he says, this is it? This is what I came all the way to get? Now I use that illustration because Peter in our passage in verse 19, likens Scripture to a light shining in a dark place. That word light is actually the word lamp in Greek. It's a lamp. God is not a genie, so let me just tell you now, he's not going to give you three wishes. He will not, uh, he will not do whatever you ask him to do. And the lamp is not a magical Lamp of Scripture is not a magical lamp, but it is nonetheless extremely powerful. 
Nothing is more powerful in this life than the Word of God. It is like a beam of light in the darkness of your life. There are two questions I want us to ask from this passage today and answer. What is this lamp? What is this lamp? And secondly, what can it do for you? So first, what is this lamp? This lamp came from God himself in verse 21. It says that prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God. It came from God. Now, the context of this verse is that Peter is speaking of Old Testament prophecy, written prophecy. But it can be applied, what he says here, to New Testament writing as well. If you look in chapter 3, if you have your Bibles open, chapter 3 of the same letter, in verse 16, Peter says this, speaking of Paul. Paul writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Peter says that Paul's letters were scripture. He refers to Paul's letters as scripture. So very early in his own writing, Peter recognized Paul's letter to be scripture. And what he says here in our passage, if you go back, it could be applied also to the New Testament. It, is, it comes from God. It was forged, this lamp was forged by a special act of God himself. A companion text that I won't have you turn to would be 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. That word in Greek, theopanoustos, is one word, four words in English. God, first theo, God, panoustos, meaning breath or spirit. Literally, it's God-spirited or God-breathed. If you think about the air in your lungs when you speak, this air going over your vocal, vocal cords gives you voice. It is the spirit or the breath of God that gives voice to his word. A special act of God himself breathed out this word. Also, in verse 21 of our passage, men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men didn't carry the Holy Spirit along with them, but the Holy Spirit carried the men along as they preached. Or, excuse me, as they, as they wrote. Now, there are debates about inspiration being, meaning breathed out by God. How did we... How did God inspire this, this writing that we call Scripture? No one that I know seriously believes that it was dropped from heaven. It's not 66 books dropped from heaven. Some people think that God dictated the words of Scripture so that the men were like puppets, or they, they may be unconscious, or they were in some kind of trance. God gave them dictated to them. 
We don't believe that that's scriptural. Some people think that the words of Scripture are not inspired themselves, so not the very words, but that the message is very inspiring. The overall message of the Bible is very inspiring. And that, that is also a view that we don't think is scriptural. There's a college campus view. College campus view that many people have, that the Bible's not God's word, but it can be true for you. Karl Barth would say that it becomes the word of God if you take it in. Now, against all of those views, I think that the scriptural witness is that the Bible is organically breathed out by God, that God used, he didn't override uh, the thoughts of the writers, he didn't force words upon them, but rather God directly acted upon the writers of Scripture. So he used their personalities and passions and desires and minds to breathe out his word. And it is objectively God's word, regardless of how you feel about it. It is externally the word of God. So what exactly is it, though? If it was breathed by God himself, it was forged by a special act of God, what is it? It's not a myth, as it says in verse 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories. It's not like Aladdin. It's not a a fable or a feel-good story or children's fantasy or wishful thinking. It's not man's opinions about God. It's not any of those things. Instead, it's God's historical record, his interpretation of how he's dealt with his people over the ages. Here in our passage, Peter says in verse 16 that he was an eyewitness of his majesty. Luke would talk about the eyewitness testimony when he would write his gospel. Peter also says he's an ear witness testimony. He has ear witness, or he was a, um, he heard the voice, as it says in verse 18, he heard this voice. He's an ear witness to Jesus. So for all of these reasons, that it's forged by God, that it came from God himself, this lamp is priceless, that you have here in your hands is priceless. If life is a cave of wonders, it's the most valuable thing in the cave of wonders. And that's why, for our forefathers in the faith, if you read about them, the ones who understood what Scripture actually is, they would go to tremendous lengths to translate it. They would put their lives at risk to promote it, to uh, talk to people about it. They would go to extreme lengths, risk their own lives to make sure that people had it in their own language. Wycliffe, John Wycliffe, who I'm not aware was persecuted in his own life, but he was later, after he died, his corpse was exhumed and burned. John Wycliffe said that, I believe that in the end, the truth will conquer. What you have in God's word is his truth that no force could ever overcome. It's an unstoppable force. 
Peter, in his first letter to uh, several churches, churches scattered throughout the Asian world, would say this in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophet searched and intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Even angels long to look into these things. Even angels long to look into what we have in Scripture. It's priceless. There is nothing like it. Very quickly, let me just tell you, too, that you should be aware of, even though it's not mentioned in our passage, it carries authority. Scripture carries authority. This lamp carries authority not only over your personal life, but also over the life of the church. Its message is clear. Not everything in Scripture is clear, but the way of salvation is clear. It's necessary for you to read, to learn, to understand. Necessary. And it is fully sufficient to accomplish everything that God wishes to accomplish in your life. Fully sufficient. When we sing How Firm a Foundation, there's this line in How Firm a Foundation, which I love, that says, What more could he say than to you he hath said? What more could God possibly say to you than what he has already said to you? There is nothing greater than, that he could say than what he has already said. It is priceless what we have. If that's what the lamp is, it's God's record of his dealings with his people. It's given to you. So what? What can it do for you? Why should you care? Why should you read it? Well, there are a number of reasons. Here are some. It can free you from any addiction that you have. It can free you from fear and anxiety in this life. It can free you from the guilt of sin, the burden of sin. No matter what you have done in this life, no matter what kind of guilty conscience you have, no matter how bad you've blown it, no matter how many lives you've hurt, it can free you from the guilt of sin. It can give you courage to face death. It can give you lasting joy found nowhere else. In other words, it's the most valuable thing in the Cave of Wonders. And for all of these reasons, it can transform your life. Here's how it works. And this does come from implication from our passage. There was a time when Peter witnessed a kind of lamp, a kind of brightness, a kind of radiance that he had never witnessed, honestly, that none of us have ever seen before. In Luke chapter 9, in Matthew chapter 17, in Mark 9, Peter saw Jesus Christ transfigured. He was up on a mountain, and a radiant, glorious light 
shone in him. Bright, radiant rays of light. Spectacular event. Moses appeared on the mountain. Uh, Elijah appeared on the mountain. This is what Peter's referring to when he says in verse 17 that he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the sacred mountain that he's referring to. What Peter, though, didn't realize is that if you go back to that passage, he wants to put up tents. He asked Jesus, let's put up tents. Let's make this last. Let's, let's let Elijah stay and Moses stay, and this is great. This is wonderful. Let's make this radiant light last. But as I quoted from First Peter, which he wrote many decades later, that the prophets searched intently about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. Peter didn't realize that the glory that Jesus had at that moment would actually need to be perfected through suffering. That Christ would have to suffer and die, that the Messiah, in order to atone for your sin and my sin, would have to go to a cross. Suffering first, glory to follow. That pattern of suffering unto glory is an important one. Which, by the way, when Jesus went to that cross, how great that darkness must have been. The darkness of God's wrath. The darkness of your sin being laid upon his shoulder. The the punishment, the punishment that you and I deserve being laid on his back That great darkness. That's why Jesus is anxious, and at least it seems that way when he's he's praying, Father, if there's any other way, Father, why have you forsaken me? That pattern, though, of suffering unto glory is actually meant for you. The pattern that Jesus went through of suffering first, glory to follow, is meant for you and I. We are being conformed to the image of his Son, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Jesus was transfigured... Jesus was transfigured in the eyes of Peter. So what does that have to do with you? And what does that have to do with his word? You are being transformed to look more and more like the Lord Jesus. But the way or the means by which he's conforming you to the image of Christ is by giving you a kind of darkness, a kind of cross, and then giving you a lamp to get you through the darkness. John Bunyan, who would spend 12 years in prison, probably a pretty dark place, said that no man without trials and temptations 
can attain to a true understanding of the Holy Scriptures. No man without trials and temptations can attain to a true understanding of the Holy Scriptures. Everything really depends on the, in the end on are you going to pay attention to the lamp? That's what Peter tells you to, to do. You will do well, as he says in verse 19, you will do well to pay attention to it. It's to a lamp shining in a dark place. Some people look at the Word of God and they see that it's not very fancy. It's just this book. There's nothing really remarkable about it. It's a book. You have to read it. You have to take time. And they're far too interested in the other shiny objects out there in the world. And so they ignore it. They chase the the rubies and the diamonds. And there are other people out there who take a sideways glance at it. They look at it. They maybe read it a little bit. They find it interesting. But at the end of the day, they really don't see any value to to this book. They don't think it's relevant. What they want is glory immediately, now. Mountaintop experience, maybe. What they want is something from God. They want a genie to give them their wishes. Glory without any cross. That is not God's plan for his children. He wants to conform you to look more like the Lord Jesus by means of this lamp. And it's the only tool that really comes from breathed out by God himself, content that God has given to you, guaranteed to work. That's why why he says in verse 19 that we have the word of the prophets made more certain. Those words, made more certain, they mean that this word is firm, steadfast, enduring, sure, certain, stable. Have you ever had a an experience at a Christian camp, maybe you went there and you experienced a lot of wonderful feelings, spiritual highs. But then you, you return to your daily, uh, daily life, you come off the mountain, the glory kind of fades away, it's not there anymore. What we have in the Word of God is enduring, lasting, firm, stable, much more stable than a mountaintop experience. In fact, Peter had the the greatest mountaintop experience that you could ever have, mountaintop experience with Jesus himself. And yet what we have here, he says, is even more firm, steadfast, enduring than even than that, of greater value, even than that. Maybe you're still not convinced Well, consider this, that it can expel whatever darkness is within. If you think about the men that God used to write Scripture, they were not stellar people when God got a hold of them. Moses, in his earlier life, had killed an Egyptian, and God would later use him to write Scripture. David, David committed adultery and murder. God used him to write 
Holy Scripture. Paul, earlier who was Saul, who was a murderer, and God used him to write Holy Scripture. If God changed those men in such a way, transformed those men in such a way that he could breathe out his word through them, could not the Lord expel the darkness in your life? I mean, couldn't he? How great that darkness is, whatever that darkness is, whatever that guilt is, no matter what you have done, no matter how great the darkness may feel to you today. There is nothing as powerful as this lamp. And my prayer is that this lamp would dispel the darkness in your life, no matter what darkness there is that nobody knows about, but only God knows, no matter what kind of sins are in your life that no one knows about, but God knows, that this lamp would expel that darkness within and conform you to the image of the Lord Jesus. And that light, that light within, within this word of God, would not only penetrate your heart, but also the hearts of those you know, that you would reflect his radiant glory of the Lord Jesus, the one who went through the the darkest darkness, so that you wouldn't have to. Pay attention to the lamp. There is nothing like it in the cave of wonders. Read it every day and pray that the Lord would conform you to the image of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us this lamp that we call the Bible. We do confess that it is of priceless value, even though we often treat it as if it's just a book. We pray that you would forgive us of our sins for casting aside this priceless treasure. And we pray that you would forgive us for treating your word lightly. Instead, I pray that you would cause us by your spirit to read it, to learn from it, and to draw us to Christ who went through the greatest darkness for us so that we wouldn't have to. We thank you for his substitutionary work on the cross. We thank you for the sins for which he atoned for. We thank you that the darkness in our own life was cast upon him. And we pray, I pray, that you would use this word to cast out the darkness of those who are here, no matter what they have done, no matter what sins they're wrestling with, that you would cause this word with power to cast out that darkness. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.